None other than Jonah Goldberg joins us now. He's got a brand new book out. It's called Suicide of the West, How the Rebirth of Tribalism, Populism, Nationalism, and Identity Politics is Destroying American Democracy. And more relevant to you all within the sound of my voice, he's going to be here in the heartland at uh, in St. Louis at the Wash U School of Law this week, September 18th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. They've got, you can still go, they've got overflow rooms on site, and you can still see Jonah, get a copy of his book, meet him, say hello. Joining us now is none other than the one and only Jonah Goldberg. Jonah, thanks for joining us on the Annie Fry Show. Good to speak with you today. Hey, it's great to be here. And, and to help you with the awkwardness of the segue, I agree that Deadpool 2 is really very good. I just watched it on a plane nice. on my iPad. <laughs> Two, immigration song will make such a better Trump rally song, in part because he always wants to end with, you can't always get what you want. Yes. <laughs> which is so weird, given he's promising all this great stuff, and then he has that song. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. I've always thought that was kind of a weird ending, too. It's a great song, but it's a weird ending to, a, to an event. But uh, I, I think he just likes the music, and it's... <laughs> It, and it is great music, but it just it doesn't fit the rally thing. It's weird. But anyway. yeah, Jonah, before we before we get into um, uh, that, uh, the president was supposed to be here in Missouri this week, and I think he made a great call canceling the rally. Would have been really bad optics with you know it was supposed to be the mother of all storms. We're glad it w apparently wasn't now raking the mid Atlantic, but uh, he'll be back soon because. We've got an epic Senate race here, which could determine the balance of the Senate with Claire McCaskill taking on our Attorney General Josh Hawley this week. Yeah, no, I, I think it was a smart move. I mean, it's just the, the the risk of the the comparison could have been really, really bad, and um, so I think that was smart. And I'm worried about the Senate. You know, um, yeah, tell, tell me about that. There's a lot. There's a lot of lot of lot of races that Republicans should win, but. You know, we see. Uh, you know, I, I was a Republican legislator here in Missouri, Jonah. I was Speaker of the House actually for a few years, but we have term limits, so I had to get a real job, and uh, it's been great. But it seems like we can't stand prosperity, those of us on the right, sometimes, and we snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory a lot. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think in a lot of ways, um, Trump is, is often his own worst enemy in all of this. He has, he has, by on political terms. A really good story to tell with the economy and the way things are going and rising wages and, and the best job market for various minorities, you know, and, and, and blue car areas of the country that we've seen in a very long time. And he can't stay on message. He has to tweet stuff that gives the press, you know, shiny things to chase. And, um, and I think, you know, it's one of the things I think that the people don't appreciate is that the phrase, it's the economy stupid. Yes. Is always right, except for all of the times that it's wrong. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of Trump's particular problems right now, or the Republicans' particular problems right now, is that um, Republican white college-educated women um, are really turned off by Trump. And the problem is that, particularly for House races, a lot of those suburban Republican seats desperately need them to come home. And so you have this really weird thing. I was talking to some political consultants about this recently in Texas, where Ted Cruz's people think they really, really need Trump to come in to boost the vote. But if he comes in, it may cost two or three or four um, House seats that are on the bubble mm. that rely on voters that, that don't want Trump to come. And um, it's, a, it's a very weird moment that we're in. 
And I, I honestly think if, if, if Trump could stay on message and, and not get distracted by Mueller or statistics about Puerto Ricans dying in hurricanes, um, or just have, have handled the McCain thing better, uh, he could have, he could still be enjoying the momentum that it looked like he was having and the Republicans were having three months ago. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a, a very wild ride, and we've got one of the featured races here in the heartland, and that's where you're coming next week, Jonah, to talk about your new book, Suicide of the West. I first wanted to ask you, though, you're also the best-selling author of a previous work you put out called Liberal Fascism, and I think that's a fantastic title because, Jonah, I dared to tweet something and and about liberal fascism a few months ago, and I got attacked by every left-wing liberal troll across the country that said, oh, you're what an ignorant person you are. There's no such thing as liberal fascism. The people on the left can't be fascist. That's all owned by the right. Could you quickly tell me why that's not true at all and what liberal fascism most certainly is? Well, sure. I mean, I, I, didn't co- I didn't coin the phrase. It actually comes from a speech by H.G. Wells where he said basically that liberals and progressives in the West need to become essentially liberal fascists. Um, he also called for them to become enlightened Nazis, and I always thought <laughs> how much fun I would have had if I called my book Enlightened Nazism instead. But, um, look, I, part of the argument of, of my book was just simply that um, the left does not have a monopoly on political virtue. Neither does the right. But the left has for a very long time, for reasons I detail in that book, um, simply accused anybody they disagree with with being fascist, regardless of what fascism actually was, which was a statist, by any measure, if you took an objective measure and you said, okay, here's what a left-wing government looks like. Does it believe in socializing industries? Does it believe in, um, you know, generous welfare states? All mm-hmm. these kinds of things. The Italian fascists and the, the German national socialists believed in that stuff. And the reason why, one of the reasons why fascism accrued this right-wing label was, um, at least in part, because the communists under Stalin went around the world and said any, any sort of uh, progressive left-wing statist movement that's not loyal to Moscow must henceforth be called um, right-wing, right-wing socialism or fascism. Wow. And that stuck. And this is not to say that, like, there aren't right-wingers who are statists and collectivists and all of that kind of stuff, but if you actually do what, I, what a lot of people got mad at me for doing and define your terms, mm-hmm. um, you know, the agenda of, of, of fascists is almost indistinguishable from the agenda of lots of nationalist and socialist movements. They're all statist movements to try to use the power of the state to, to rein in and control and ultimately destroy capitalism and democracy. And this, this idea that only people on the right can be intolerant of opposing points of view and all that kind of stuff is really just lazy bigotry. Yeah, Jonah, I'm glad you did it because the left thinks they own labels, and uh, especially when they're not true. <laughs> and you've actually stuck a label on them that I think is true, and you, you've succinctly uh, gave us the definition right there. So the new book, which I'm sure you're going to be discussing next week when you're here, 
And I, and I give you a lot of credit for coming into one of our bastions of liberalism here in the Midwest, the Washington University. Uh, you're going to be at the Washington University School of Law next uh, next week, September 18th, from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Folks, you can go to uh, the Show Me Institute's website. They are they're one of the hosts bringing Jonah in, showmeinstitute.org, an evening with Jonah Goldberg next Tuesday at WashU. And uh, you wrote you wrote the follow-up book here, Suicide of the West. What was the uh, – uh, why, why this topic? Why now? Uh, what, was, what was the inspiration? Yeah, so one of the things I'm trying to do, um, in part because of the way <laughs> liberal fascism was received, is actually sort of overemphasize my desire to, to, to do what I think is sort of sorely lacking in a lot of parts of the right and the left these days, and actually make an argument and try to persuade people who disagree with me. Hmm. And so I use, I, I argue on the terms that the, the left values in politics. You know, why do, why do the left, what, 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 what does the left invest in politics and in government? It wants to help poor people. It wants to improve literacy. It wants to, uh, improve public health, longevity, all of these sorts of things. And the part of the core of my argument is that liberal democratic capitalism, which emerges only 300 years ago, um, is not only the best way to do all of those things, it really is the only way to do those things. Because if you look at the grand sweep of, of human history, say, say since 250,000 years ago when we split off from the Neanderthals, everywhere in the world until 300 years ago, give or take, the average human being all across the planet lived on no more than $3 a day. Wow. Yes. And then once and only once in all of human history does that start to change. And it only started in one place, England, spreading to Holland, Western Europe, America. And we are living right now in the greatest moments of, of poverty alleviation in all of human history. The U.N. might get rid of the term extreme poverty in the next 10 years because, because markets and capitalism are bringing people out of poverty, which is man's natural condition. And so part of my argument is that we should have a certain amount of appreciation and gratitude for the times we're living in, for the system that we inherited, for the Constitution. And instead, what we do in this culture, particularly on college campuses, is we don't teach gratitude at all. We teach the opposite, which is entitlement and resentment. Mm. We teach people to dislike the society that they're born into, to think that the story of America and the story of the West is simply the most evil chapters one after another. That the most interesting and important thing to know about the West is that we had slavery. That's not it. Every civilization that you can name had slavery. Yes. The, the interesting thing about the West is that we got rid of it. Yes. And, and we got rid of it because we were living up to the ideals and principles that this country was founded on. It took time. It's not a perfect history. I want to teach the bad stuff, but I want to teach the bad stuff so people can understand and appreciate the good stuff. Speaking of Jonah Goldberg, the author of the new book, Suicide of the West, he'll be here in St. Louis next Tuesday, September 18th, 5 to 6.30 p.m. at WashU School of Law. Go to showmeinstitute.org. Jonah, i got one last question for you. There's a line uh, on the event details here that really caught my attention. And, and so many people have forgotten what this term means, what it used to mean. You, it says here, Goldberg argues that a renewed commitment to classical liberal values can preserve the principles that have guided the progress of Western civilization for centuries. You've been talking about that, but explain briefly here, classical liberal values, that has nothing to do with modern left-wing liberal progressivism, does it? Classical liberal values are what? Right, so a classical liberal 
values, which basically come out of what I call the Lockean revolution, are just are these ideas that used to be shared across party lines, that our rights come from God, not from government, that we are citizens, not subjects, that the fruits of our labors belong to us, that we are all free to pursue happiness as we define it within the constraints of decency and not harming others, and that the government works the government works for us, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't work for it. And, um, and this idea, this is why conservatives in America are very different than conservatives almost anywhere else in the world, because what we're conserving was a radical revolution in human affairs. The American founding was a classically liberal, enlightenment-based thing, and we're trying to conserve and preserve it. And so that makes us different, say, a conservative in Russia or Portugal who may want the monarchy back or something like that. We want to keep alive these principles that ensure liberty, and that has also ensured prosperity in ways that no other set of principles ever have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Jonah, I'm, I'm re-watching the David McCullough, John Adams series that HBO did, and Jefferson and Adams had very different opinions on the size and scope of the eventual federal government they created, but they agreed on those core concepts that you just mentioned. I wish I wish we'd have a rebirth of understanding on that, that you just, uh, you just analyzed and explained. So folks, go see Jonah Goldberg. He'll be here in St. Louis Next week, author of the new book, Suicide of the West, showmeinstitute.org has all of your information on Jonah's event. Jonah, glad you're coming here to St. Louis next week. Thanks for so much time this afternoon on the Annie Fry Show. Thanks.